0: I'm going to give a few words of introduction. He's going to be speaking on the Ebenezer theme in Scripture. You know, what is Ebenezer? Well, it's a rock. A rock? Yep, it's a rock. I'm going to explain how we can be, have a sermon on a rock today. Um, in the time of Samuel, Israel were in really big trouble. They were this things things were desperate, and they cried to God, and God answered their prayer. And he saved them out of the trouble they were in. He rescued them. So Samuel got this rock, much bigger than this one, probably. And he set the rock up and he said, the rock was called Ebenezer, which literally means stone of help. It was to remember what God had done. Because the idea was that if God does something for you and then you forget it, you can, you can end up by um, going away from God again. But it's very important to remember what God has done. And so what Don is going to be bringing us this morning is the Ebenezer theme in the scriptures. And he's going to be looking at that story in Samuel, and then he's going to be moving to the New Testament, talking about Paul from 2 Corinthians. And I know that Don has written a book on 2 Corinthians, a commentary, and so I've got a lot of respect for his work in that area. So I've made some slides for Don, and I'm going to be, uh, every so often I'm going to stop and... and, uh, read some of the slides but um, I'm just going to begin by just going through the outline and then I'm going to hand over to Don. So uh, first of all the story of the rock called Ebenezer and that's the Old Testament story 1st Samuel 7 3 to 14 and then moving to the New Testament Paul's death and resurrection story from 2nd Corinthians chapter 1 verses 1 through 11. Then The third point is Paul's new insights. And then the last point is four things we can learn from Paul. And now I'm going to hand it over to Don. Good
1: morning to everyone in ULIF Church. It's been some time since we've been together. But I'm very glad to have this occasion to uh, to be with you and to share the scriptures with you. Um, The title of the sermon is... Ebenezer, hitherto the Lord has helped us. And I'm basing it on 1 Samuel 7 and 2 Corinthians 1 as uh, the one comes into the other. Now, I think we can say it's a truism that trouble is a fact of life. Uh, we all know that from common experience, but it's explicitly affirmed in Scripture. For example, there's Job 5, 6 to 8. For affliction does not come from the dust, nor does trouble sprout from the ground. The man is born to trouble, as the sparks fly upward, as for me, I would seek God and to my God commit my cause. Then you have Mark six thirty-four. Sufficient for the day is the evil thereof. Then there's John sixteen thirty-three. In the world you have tribulation, but be of good cheer, for I have overcome the world. Now there is an Ebenezer theme in Scripture. I'm thinking of First Samuel seven uh, three to fourteen.
0: 1 Samuel chapter seven. And Samuel cried out to the Lord for Israel. And the Lord answered him. As Samuel was offering up the burnt offering, the Philistines drew near to attack Israel. But the Lord thundered with a mighty sound that day against the Philistines, and threw them into confusion, and they were routed before Israel. And the men of Israel went out from Mizpah. And pursued the Philistines, and struck them as far as below Bethkar. Then Samuel took a stone, and set it up between Mizpah and Shen, and called its name Ebenezer, for he said, "Till now, the Lord has helped us." So the Philistines were subdued, and did not again enter the territory of Israel. And the hand of the Lord was so. The hand of the Lord was against the Philistines all the days of Samuel.
1: Uh, we find in that passage that Israel turns from idolatry, the enemies are defeated when Israel cries out to the Lord. Then Samuel erects a memorial, the Ebenezer, and then there finally peace. Now, verse fourteen in particular stands out. It says, "Then Samuel took a stone and set it up between Mizpah." and Jeshana, and called its name Ebenezer, for he said, Hitherto the Lord has helped us. Now, one of the commentators, a recent commentator, uh, has written, Perhaps Samuel named the stone after the place name Ebenezer with the earlier experience in chapters 4 through 5 in mind, so that the people might always be reminded of God's special help in this time and at this place. The name, the stone, Azur, is not unusual as a place name, and it certainly is a reminder of God's powerful intervention in the history of Israel. Now, this is a picture of biblical history and church history. And so, again, to go through a list, uh, there's turning from idolatry. Now, the Hebrew word for repentance is, is turn, literally turn, the Hebrew shuv. Now, there is a mental process involved in all this, That the proof of the pudding, so to speak, is in the eating. Repentance has taken place when idolatry is renounced, and we take another path altogether. And so it's that process of turning. Then second, there is a continual dependence upon God. Third, believers remember who has delivered them. And then again, there is peace and rest. Now, the book of Judges demonstrates what happens when this pattern is broken. And so again, a kind of checklist. Israel only turned and cried to God when they were desperate. And second, once they were delivered, they forgot. And then third, the result was that there was no lasting peace. There was only chaos. So
0: thanks, Don, for those examples. That makes a lot of sense. Um, it seems pretty clear from the Old Testament that um, we have this idea that when they remembered what God had done, they were really blessed um, as in the time of Samuel, but then if we went back to the time of the Judges, we saw they failed to remember what God had done, and the whole cycle repeated of God saving them, and then failing to remember, and then they go back through the cycle. So if I can um, summarize your first part and the outline, we have the Ebenezer theme in scripture, remembering how the Lord has helped us, and three parts of that, we're in trouble, God delivers us, and we remember what he's done, Ebenezer. And then we're going to be looking at Paul's death and resurrection story from 2 Corinthians, and then you're going to talk about Paul's new insights and four things we can learn from Paul. So, back to you.
1: Now, this Ebenezer theme is illustrated by the experience of Paul. The background was Paul's relations with the Corinthians, And first of all, there was the trouble, you might say. A group within the church had fallen under the influence of the super apostles, uh, 2 Corinthians 11, 4-6. For if someone comes and preaches another Jesus than the one we preach, or if you received a different spirit from the one you received, or if you received a different gospel from the one you accepted, you submit to it readily enough. I think I am not the least inferior to these superlative apostles, as the RSV translates. Even if I am unskilled in speaking, I am not in knowledge. In every way, we have made this plain to you in all things. Now, it's in chapters 1 to 7 that Paul explains why he was a no-show. He had promised to arrive in Corinth on such and such a date, but he didn't as originally promised. Now that played, as you can imagine, readily into the hands of the opponents. They were able to tell the Corinthians that Paul was unreliable and untrustworthy. Uh, The purpose of that was to undermine Paul's credibility and thereby the credibility of his Gospels. And so the super apostles didn't miss a trick when it came then to undermining Paul's Gospel and Paul's person. Well, the gist of the explanation was that the delay His uh, delay of his arrival was to spare the Corinthians to give them time to repent. And so Paul was not being devious after all, but rather he was acting on behalf of the Corinthian believers. Now to that he adds that he almost died. A slightly good excuse you might say. He almost died. And his death-like experience uh, was just that. In chapter 1, verses 8 through 9a, for I do not want you to be ignorant, brethren, of the affliction we experience in Asia. For we were so utterly, unbearably crushed that we despaired of life itself, Why we felt that we had received the sentence of death. Now, as applies to us, and we'll have an application later, as applies to us, we can say that we're in the same ballpark, to use that figure of speech as Paul. Our specific circumstances may be different, But at heart, we're all in Paul's company. And like him, we undergo many, that's M-I-N-I, many deaths and resurrections, all of which lead up to the big death and the big resurrection. Now, in terms of Paul's own resurrection, verses 8 to 10, we do not want you to be ignorant, brethren, of the affliction we experience in Asia for we were so utterly unbearably crushed that we despaired of life itself. Why, we felt that we had received the sentence of death, that but that was to make us rely not on ourselves, but on God who raises the dead. He delivered us from so deadly a peril, and he will deliver us. On him we have set our hope that he will deliver us again. Now, he doesn't say specifically what his di- death crisis was like. Uh, it's very much like his thorn in the flesh in chapter uh, 12, 1 through 10. And uh, I think the reason why he doesn't say specifically what that was is because we might draw the conclusion, well, that doesn't apply to us. It only applied to Paul's specific circumstance. But in fact, he speaks in principle. And so it was a circumstance in which he despaired of life, and he drew the conclusion that this is the end. His back was up against the wall. He had given up in human terms. But... He was delivered, and when he was delivered, it was like a resurrection, no less than that. Now, most importantly, this resurrection pointed him to the final resurrection in verse 10, and so every mini-resurrection is a foretaste of the big resurrection. Now, Philip Hughes says this, This is indeed a theme which provides a key to the whole epistle. This was a principle to which even our Lord submitted in procuring our salvation. For he was crucified through weakness, but is alive through the power of God. It is a theme, therefore, which points to the unity of this epistle, and in which, in particular, links the concluding to the opening chapters. And so you might say, in, in a nutshell, that this is what Second Corinthians is all about. Paul's death and resurrection. So, if we ask... How do we know that there is a, quote, big resurrection? Well, it's because of the many resurrections. All the little ones build up to the big one. Now, another point here is the insights that Paul derived from his resurrection-like experience, in particular verses 3 through 9. And for one thing, we can say along these lines that the insight into God himself is provided by this text. It was James Denny who said this insight is expressed by a new name for God. Now, we know the various names for God. There are lots of them. In fact, I have a couple of bookmarks that have names of God, and there are a number of them. But it's James Denny who says that this insight is expressed by a new name for God, which is the Father of mercies and the God of all comfort. Now, all comfort, they use that phrase, is every kind of comfort that's appropriate for the occasion. And there are lots of occasions. But for everyone, there is an abundance of comfort. And so the comfort corresponds to the occasions in which Paul felt himself uh, pushed up against the wall, despairing of life itself. Now, the fact of the names of God, again, is a, an index to God's own person. It's the revelation of God himself. And so all the names of God are revealed by way of the experience of believers. Uh, we never experience God in the abstract, and God would never have under and Paul would never have understood God adequately if he quote had not died.
0: I want to interrupt you at this point, Don, because this is so powerful for me. Um I you completely reimagining, reframing paul's experience for me um like the way i've looked at it is when something bad happens i pray to god and he answers my prayer i'm pleased and i move on but what you've done is add a whole new dimension for me that actually there's a positive side for this whole story that um, i'm actually learning a new revelation of god through what has happened to me in this and um this is like a new name of God. God the God of all comfort is being revealed to me through this experience. And actually, it's, um, it's taking me into the possibility of growth that I didn't have before. So thank you for that. And uh, just to refresh us with the outline, uh, we've looked at the story of the rock called Ebenezer from the Old Testament. Then we've looked at Paul's death and resurrection story from the New Testament, and we're looking now at Paul's new insights, and then we're going to end with four things we can learn from
1: Paul. Now, God is called further the Father of mercies. Uh, Psalm 103, verses 13 to 14, As a father pities his children, so the Lord pities those who fear him, for he knows our frame, he remembers that we are dust. Now, God's compassion and forgiveness are focused on human frailty. Uh, that text draws an analogy between a human father's compassion for his children and the Lord's compassion for his own, those who are in covenant relationship with them. Uh, the words frame and dust recall the creation account of Genesis 2.7 and 3.19. We're told that God formed the man from the dust of the ground. The point is that the Lord deals with us according to what he knows that we are, that we're mortal, and that we're frail. And it's for that reason he comes to our rescue. And he's also called the God of all comfort. His comfort is to be sought in every situation, and it excludes all other sources of comfort. Now, we may run to those other sources readily enough, but they're like the cisterns that can hold no water. And that's a reference to Jeremiah uh, 2 verses 12 to 13. Be appalled, O heavens, at this. Be shocked, be utterly desolate, says the Lord, for my people have committed two evils. They have forsaken me, the fountain of living waters, and hewed out cisterns for themselves, broken cisterns that can hold no water. I we can go further and say that there's an insight that Paul derived into his difficulties. One thing, the mercy and comfort of God were not meant to terminate on himself. In verse 4, For I wrote you out of much affliction and anguish of heart, and with many tears, not to cause you pain, but to let you know the abundant love that I have for you. And hand in hand with that, there is a new appreciation for those who suffer. Now, we feel sorry for those who suffer, And understandably so. I mean, who wouldn't? Who wouldn't uh, enter into the the feelings and the hurt of others? But I would uh, qualify that to say that Paul doesn't. Now he does feel, but he also knows that those who suffer for Christ's sake have the most reason to be hopeful. And in that light, I think we should adjust our, readjust our attitudes toward our own troubles. Uh, John 13, uh, I have said this to you, that in me you may have peace. In the world you have tribulation, but be of good cheer, uh, for I have overcome the world. Now again, it's Leon Morris who says that these words conclude on the note of peace and victory. The gist is that everyone who lives in the world will have tribulations, but they also may live in Christ and thus have peace. Now, to quote him again, this statement, spoken as it is in the shadow of the cross, is audacious. The cross would seem to the outsider to be Christ's total defeat, but he sees that it as his complete victory over all the world is. He goes to the cross not in fear or in gloom, but as a conqueror. And so is more than conquerors than the ones who love us.
0: That is so powerful. I'm just jumping in now with the outline to reflect give us a roadmap for where we're going. And we've looked at the story of the Ebenezer rock in Samuel. We've looked at Paul's death and resurrection experience. We looked at Paul's insights, and now I'm looking forward to hearing the four things that we can learn from Paul. I'll hand back over to you.
1: In terms of some conclusions and applications, The whole of salvation history is being worked out in us. And again, to go through the checklist, we have turned from idolatry, but the enemy is still active. And third, there is deliverance. And then fourthly, we remember. Now, in that connection, I would cite Deuteronomy chapter 8, verses 2 to 3. It has to do with Christ being in the wilderness. And you shall remember all the way which the Lord your God has led you these forty years in the wilderness, that he might humble you, testing you to know what was in your heart, whether you would keep his commandments or not. And he humbled you and let you hunger and fed you with manna, which you did not know, nor did your fathers know, that he might make you know that a man does not live by bread alone, but by everything that proceeds from the mouth of God." And so it was Christ in the wilderness who remembered. And notice the many times that that uh, word is repeated, who remembered. Israel had forgotten, but Christ remembered. And for that reason, he resisted the evil one and persevered in the way of his father. And that's what we're called on to do as well, to imitate his example. Now, the second thing is that we have to cultivate the same view of God that Paul had. Now, in the present, God is the Father of mercies and the God of all comfort. And in the future, God is the raiser of the dead. Verse 9. While we felt that we had received the sentence of death, but that was to make us rely not on ourselves, but on God who raises the dead. And we know that he will raise us because of our death experiences in this life. Another thing is that it's in our death and resurrection, ex- resurrection experiences, that we're made like Christ. Verse 5. And it's for that reason that we need to cultivate the same view of others in our relation as uh, as Paul did. Now, death to self-centeredness is a thing we all over, have to overcome. There's such a thing, I would say, as an un- unholy trinity. Me, myself, and I. And so it is that we... Combat that by keeping in mind then the Christ who died for us and, and now lives on our behalf. Another thing is that we keep in mind that Christ has overcome the world, and for that reason we can overcome the world as well. Romans eight thirty seven. Paul writes knowing all these things we're more than conquerors through him who loved us. And then next all this has a bearing on the gospel ministry. Uh, Paul writes in verse 24 that we're not the lords of your faith but the helpers of your joy. It's Hughes who says there is no scriptural warrant for hierarchical dominion or lordship in the church of Christ. Absolute authorities invested not in any supposed apostolic office or succession, but in the person of Christ who is the only apostle and high priest of our confession and the one shepherd and bishop of our souls. Well, with all that in mind, we come full circle in the Ebenezer motif. John Newton, who said as love in time past, forbids me to think. you will leave me at last in trouble to sink. Each sweet Ebenezer I have in review confirms his good pleasure to help me quite through. Or as Job put it, Job 5.8, As for me, I would seek God, and to God I would commit my cause. Amen.
0: Well, thank you so much, Don. Um, we've got plenty of time, so I just thought I would um, jump in again and um, re- reflect on what you've just said and, and what it's what, how it's spoken to me. I found this so powerful. And um, those last points, if I can just go back to the slide for those. Um, there we go. Um, having the same view of God as Paul. Um, in the present... Um, God, I can learn about right now where I am. I can learn a new name for God, a new quality of God that I wouldn't have learned had I not had the suffering. And then in the future, I have more confidence that there's a God who raises the dead because I've had a mini death and resurrection experience. And um, you quoted that verse um, from Paul talking about his confidence in the God who raises the dead. And we know that he will raise us because of our death re- death experiences in this life. And then you talked about um, um, being made like Christ as we go through these experiences, how we go again and again through these experiences and we become more like Christ. And that's that's really speaks to me. And then your last point about Christ having overcome the world and we can overcome too through him. And you said... Now, in all these things, we're more than conquerors through him who loved us. One of the most powerful verses in scripture. And um, I, I just love that. And you've really reframed this whole experience of suffering for me, which is so important at this time when there's a lot of suffering around in the world. I'm actually going to ask Anne just to come in right now and share some thoughts. So I'll hand the microphone over to you, Anne. There you go. I put it on okay. there. You just get out of the way
2: Yes, I love the idea of setting up an Ebenezer rock, and um, a number of years ago, I went through a very, very difficult experience I'd been working in a very uh, a very damaging and toxic environment, but through it all there was one individual who was actually supportive in the whole thing well you know after a lot of prayer the Lord brought me through that and everything was resolved and I thought afterwards I I mean I I wish I'd done it but I didn't and I thought how wonderful it would be to have some little rock with the word Ebenezer carved in it because you know the, the Lord helped me through this the Lord was my helper who's my this would be my my way of remembering And I I remembered a, a hymn that John Newton, John Newton wrote some amazing hymns as well as Amazing Grace. He wrote some other incredible hymns. His love in time past forbids me to think. He'll leave me at last in trouble to think. Each sweet Ebenezer I have in review confirms his good pleasure to help me quite through. And so every one of these little instances where God has helped us, They should be little Ebenezer rocks in our mind and we can look back on them and remember God helped us through that. He was he showed us mercy. He was a God of comfort in all of that. He'll help me through this. I'm going to hand back to Andrew.
0: Thank you, Anne. And uh, I can agree with her that I have had some similar experiences And I do actually have some tangible things that I use to remember those because it's so important. So let's close in prayer, shall we? Thank you, God, that you are the God of all comfort. You are the Father of mercies. We pray that right now, whatever trouble we are going through, each one of us, that you would be a God of comfort to us the Father of mercies, the one who brings resurrection from death. But more than that, we pray, God, that we won't just enjoy this and then forget it. But we will remember what you've done for us. And through that, our faith will grow and our confidence will grow that one day there will be the final resurrection to joy and union with you forever. Amen.